0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about as always, but you have to start with the filing, late night filing last night uh, by the Department of Justice uh, demonstrating a lot more evidence, I guess, or a lot more information at the very least about the obstruction of justice claim the other reasons to raid the former President um, Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago. What's very interesting about this is even the photograph that at this point, I'm pretty sure you've seen. Uh, I imagine you've seen it somewhere, uh, maybe even just on local news, if you're not all over social media. Uh, The photo shows a lot of uh, what are marked as secret or top secret information uh, just laying on the floor. Now, what's interesting about this, this is where I want to start, is that this could have been taken... And I'm sure it's already actually I know factually it's already Trump's claim himself, but I'm sure it's going to be the claim of his his lawyers and anyone that uh, tries to defend any of that sort of stuff as just what the FBI chose to do as they were investigating, as they were looking for things. They might have laid the documents out on the ground and then took the photo themselves. And they also have the 2A uh, marking next to it. So I'm sure that it'll be a that's not how we had those documents lying around on the floor kind of thing. But that's how social media is taking it, by the way. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, actually, that it's not something that you just had lying on the floor all over the office. But social media is assuming that and going after Trump, going after the former president and saying how reckless this is. Now, granted, this is interesting to me. And there is another piece of information that I think is probably more valuable uh, to all of this. And it's the fact that uh, Donald Trump did have some of these classified documents just sitting in his desk at Mar-a-Lago. And that is a question that is actually being asked even by Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, Steve Ducey is one of the people that threw that out there, and I'll play that audio in just a bit. Uh, But Steve Ducey just flatly said, why would you have secrets? Uh, I think he said these are the biggest secrets in the world just sitting in a desk inside an office at your home. Um, There's a valuable question in all of this. So here's a couple other pieces of information that you probably need to know. Uh, More than 100 documents were found in 13 boxes or containers in Trump's residence uh, that bore classified markings according to the filing uh, that, again, just happened the other night, uh, including three classified documents in his desk, as I said. Uh, This is over twice the number of documents Trump's legal team delivered in June when they they signed a document swearing that they had returned all classified material requested by the DOJ uh, that was to be returned to the National Archives. Now, out of the 320 classified or top-secret documents that have been retrieved from uh, former President Trump and from his team, a hundred of them were, were found during this unprecedented uh, raid of his home. I think a lot of this has a lot of value, a lot of discussion um, that we as a society, I guess, can have or, or we as uh, voters can have and the politicians will do strangely when they talk about it. Uh, but there, there is an aspect of all of this that is unique. And it's something that I'll just continue to say. It's not intent to be a defense of the former president. It's nothing like that. It's just unique. The guy was the president of the country. Uh, he claims that he declassified these documents. And actually, and I know that this is crazy, uh, but I think that I saw a couple, I think even Politico, uh, Politico or The Hill, um, one of, the, they're not on the right um, places, uh, said that there would be a way and actually, it happened during the the Bush uh, presidency for you to declassify a document by just saying to a couple people, this is declassified now and not going through that process. In the Bush presidency, it happened in order to give some information to reporters. Uh, you just said to, to a few people in a room, I'm declassifying this. That might wind up being a defense that is valuable. That might wind up being something that actually does get him off out of trouble, uh, former President Trump on this. But there is no other way to spin it. I don't think there's any other way to talk about it. Uh, if you sign something that says you have no additional classified material, you have nothing else in your office, um, at your uh, your home, that is uh, something that they want back, and then they find 100 more documents, that there's, there's value. And having a conversation about this, I think this is why I wanted to keep waiting to hear how much information was still to come out. And granted, this is just a late night filing. I think it's a filing in response to uh, Trump asking for a special um, a special person to, to overview, uh, to uh, review all the documents, to look through everything, essentially asking for someone else, an independent person to be assigned uh, to decide whether or not this was even an appropriate action by the Department of Justice. Uh, but it's certainly significant, uh, to say the very least there. And it's something that I think more and more information needs to come out, uh, as I've been saying. Uh, what those documents exactly were, uh, what the, you know, uh, just how important the secret was. That kind of stuff does matter, at least to me. Maybe it doesn't matter to many, but I do think it's interesting. All right, I want to move on uh, to some other things. Uh, These are things about our current president, who is just broken as a person as well. (laughs) Uh, You talk about the former president and some people on social media. Very happy to see uh, the developments in the FBI investigation uh, then you go back to the former president. You're like, I don't know how anybody could be proud of this guy uh, either. Uh, here's just a quick thing. Uh, no, he's not stealing any uh, top secret documents, although I don't think that that happened with Trump either. I think that they got sent to his house. I don't think he took him out in a backpack. Uh, but anyway, let's go back to this. Uh, Biden said that he would like to see Josh Shapiro elected. He would like to see uh, John Fetterman elected. The only problem is he switched their positions. Somehow he he decided to say that Josh should be a senator, and that John should be the governor, it's, they're not running for that stuff, sir. That's not the, the road they're trying to go. But all right, let's just tell people to vote that way.
2: Please, please, elect the attorney general of the Senate.
1: Yeah, that's not, that's not what he's running for.
2: <laughs> elect that big old boy to be governor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's also not how that's happening. But uh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for your help, for coming on out. And then there's this. This is odd, too. This is making the rounds on social media. Uh, This is Biden. Uh, You know what? I'll just I'll play it first and then I'll react to it. Uh, It is a lot of people are uncomfortable uh, saying that this is a demonstration that Biden is is like a sick human. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's that, but it, it sounds incredibly uncomfortable. I'll tell you that.
2: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. How are you, baby? How old
1: are you? (laughs) How old are you? Almost double figures. Okay, so as you can tell in that audio, that is the President of the United States uh, giving a speech in front of uh, human beings and saying to what sounds like a nine-year-old child, hey, baby, how are you? I'll play it again. Well, thank you very much. Thank
2: you. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures.
1: Yeah, You can actually hear the nine if you listen close enough in the background. Um, okay, so here's the thing. That does sound incredibly creepy. And any human being anywhere in the world that said, hey, baby, to a nine-year-old would probably uh, not be someone welcome at any other event that included uh, said young people. Uh, but maybe Biden just calls children and babies baby. Maybe he just says it like he's he's at a point now where he doesn't seem to be aware of many things So maybe when he recognizes that someone's not an adult human, he refers to that person as a baby because he just thinks everybody's a baby. I I have no I have no real excuse. I'm not trying to excuse the behavior. This is super creepy and odd. Uh, I think it's being maybe overblown a bit on social media, uh, but it's not the kind of way you should talk to children. It's just not a thing. And that's that's current president. So you got the news about the former president. You got current president doing the things he's doing. Oh, this is great. Everything's going great. Let's check in on one other person, because why not? That's how we're going to start the show, just doing a, a quick check-in around the around the world of politics. Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is saying something, and I actually love uh, what DeSantis is saying. And I'm not surprised, and I doubt many people are, how well DeSantis is doing in any sort of poll that asks you who you should vote for, who would you vote for, who would you like to see run in a presidential election. Uh, DeSantis was doing well before the Mar-a-Lago raid. After the Mar-a-Lago raid, more and more Republicans were in support of of President Trump. That was a thing that seemed to—and I think that could continue. I'm not saying I think that's going away anytime soon, even with the information or the filing from the DOJ yesterday. Uh, But I do think this is interesting, that as all of this is going on, as our current president is creepy and confused— as our former president is uh, definitely accused of doing some um, very serious things. You got DeSantis out here saying that if you're willing to uh, spend money on 80 something thousand new IRS agents, 87,000, you should allow every member of Congress to be audited every year by the IRS. I love this. The tax code isn't even, it's not, it's
3: incomprehensible. So if they go after you, a lot of times they're going to be able to find something, uh, find if you, especially if you don't have an accountant or you don't have lawyers. Uh, so I thought it was really, really reprehensible uh, that they'd be mobilizing 87,000 IRS agents. And I think every member of Congress that voted for that bill uh, should be required to be audited every year by the IRS. <laughs>
1: I love every part of that. I also love him saying that if they really go after you, if they decide, you know what, we have to find something, we can look back in several years to taxes, that they can get something on a lot of people, maybe a lot of everyday Americans who uh, didn't do their taxes exactly correctly. Who knows even how much money you'd wind up owing if you somehow screwed something up. And I do know that a lot of people now do their taxes on their own uh, using those uh, different uh, tax providers, online ones. So is there a chance that you might screw something up and that it might not be all that serious? I imagine there is for a lot of Americans. I mean, a lot of Americans uh, don't get perfect scores on, say, math tests and stuff. So I, I don't know exactly uh, what could occur. But it's interesting to hear DeSantis say that. And with 87,000 new IRS agents in the fold, ready to do as much as they need to do uh, to find anything, say, on the people, they're lo- and how difficult the IR- the tax code is to navigate even in and of itself, so I do think all that together is interesting, and out of all the, the crazy stuff out there in the world right now, uh, and certainly a politician saying the Congress should be audited every single year would feel like a, a bigger deal. It's just not, with everything else going, out, uh, going on out there. And to be honest, it's the thing that I definitely most support out of everything I just played. All right, quick break, a lot more. Uh, this is The Chad Benson Show, Craig Collins filling in.
3: here and white male privilege to me
1: i do often out myself verbally as a gender my pronouns are they them and i'm proud to be a gender are you
0: so (laughs) bitch what are you kidding me not a great way to use your white privilege
1: some people get it some people don't
0: you're listening to the chad benson show
1: this is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Greg Collins, filling in. Uh, I recall a story from just a couple weeks ago where a teacher actually posted a photo of a dog that had eaten the home had uh, eaten the homework of all the students. It was kind of hilarious. The dog ate the homework after the teacher had gotten it, and a whole lot of people said, "Oh my god, this actually happens." I don't know why I reacted to that, or I I know why. I just thought of it now. Uh, apparently, now there's a viral video of a cop. This is an Alabama police officer. Uh, that just gone into a home and served some documents to a family. Uh, then comes out of that house and finds a goat in his police cruiser eating documents, eating paperwork. And this is the viral response to him trying to get the goat out of his police cruiser.
2: Are you kidding me? Get out! <laughs> There's nothing to eat in there. Get out of there. Get Didn't out. Don't eat that. Come on. Come on.
1: Come on. Get out. <laughs> I love that a lot. I, I really, really love this. One more time. Are you kidding me? Are, really? Go in here. There's nothing
2: to eat in there. Get out of there. Don't eat that. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Get out.
1: Now, here's why I think the two stories are similar. Uh, much like the photographic evidence the teacher had to throw up to show that, yes, the dog really did eat all of your homework uh, students, or at least some of the homework, uh, without the body camera on this cop and without all the other things, if some of those documents had been like ripped up and he gets back to the, I assume, uh, uh, police um, uh, office or whatever, uh, that he goes to, uh, I imagine at some point they'll ask him, hey, man, uh, what happened to some of those documents? And he'll be like, well, now a goat ate him. Uh, you would never think that that was real. <laughs> You'd never think that that was true, unless, of course, uh, you have what you have there. So I just love every part of that story so very, very much. Uh, the police headquarters, I don't know why it's said office a second ago. Heinz uh, is selling a collection of ketchup-stained clothing. Uh, this is a weird decision, I guess, uh, but apparently one that they hope means a lot of people will consider ketchup stains uh, to be fashionable, it's called Heinz Vintage Drip. I <laughs> oh, couldn't even say that. Uh, Heinz Vintage Drip. It's a collection of 157 secondhand pieces, each with a unique Heinz ketchup stain. <laughs> I mean, are we trolling? Are we getting trolled by like people and companies now? Like every time I talk about a story uh, that is this insane, uh, the first thing I have to think about is the creation of it, how it happened. What office space were they sitting in? What police headquarters? I'm just going to interchange those words now. But what what location are the individuals that brainstorm ideas for Heinz are sitting in some sort of big giant meeting and someone's like, you know what we should do? We should sell clothing that has ketchup stains on it. And they're like, oh, good. Keep going. Come on, Frank. This is almost a full idea. What else you got? Well, maybe we actually sell 157 secondhand pieces that we go pick up at maybe some sort of local thrift store. And then uh, I got it. Each ketchup stain is unique. We'll do something to make sure they're all different versions of the same similar thing. They're like, that's that's amazing. That's our next billion dollar idea. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, last uh, checked on this though, uh, they have uh, sold out of these kind of items um, and that is just uh, ridiculous. So there we go. There's another thing in the world that happened. I can do this. I can help anyone else that needs another pair or another shirt that didn't get one. Maybe a pair of pants too, I guess. I don't really know uh, what uh, what clothing items are most popular here, but I can catch up stain pretty much anything for you and I can sell it for a reasonable rate. Much more reasonable than they're selling for uh, over there on the other place. Uh, a bar in LA has raised the minimum age to 30 to enter this establishment. Uh, a bar uh, has decided that for weekend nights... They really just want people that are 30 and older. (laughs) I love this idea, personally. I think that bars could do even better at times. I think you could have a 40 and older bar, a 50 and older bar. I think you can make a lot of really sensible decisions uh, to return some bars to maybe a a way that they didn't used to be before. Uh, But the reason that this made the news, the reason it went viral, is uh, women on TikTok apparently were trying to get into the bar and were rejected because they were still in their 20s. And we're very upset about that, as surprising as that probably is not to many. Uh, beyond being upset about that, they also then put it out in social media, and a lot of other people thought it was unfair. Uh, but le- let's be honest. The last time that you were in a 20-something bar, and you're not a 20-something anymore, that's not a fun place to be. I got invited by a coworker. This is like, I don't know, six, seven months ago, to go out with him and some friends. And I get there, and the coworker was much younger than me. And I realize the kind of night I'm about to have with these guys. I'm like, ah, man, I've got to get out of here. I I really only spent like 10, 15 minutes with them because that's not my scene anymore. And so I do think that it makes sense for some bars if they're like, we don't want this to be a young person crowd every night. Uh, We're not saying we hate the young people. We're just saying we don't want this every night. That you go ahead and change some of those rules. I know a lot of people will hate this. I know a lot of other people will love this. And I guess that's why I love it so much as a move. All right, quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson show.
3: The Chad Benson show.
0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, this was valuable information that dropped over the last, say, 24 hours or so. Uh, border Patrol Chief uh, Raul Ortiz uh, was questioned, asked uh, asked about whether or not uh, he thinks there's been an increase of uh, people trying to cross the border illegally uh, since Biden uh, got into power, and then a couple other questions of value. These few moments, and I think Fox Digital is one of the places that had this uh, up yesterday, uh, last night. Uh, but it's it's pretty interesting to hear, and even one of them gets objected to, but still gets answered. I think it's pretty interesting to hear fairly definitively from someone in the know at the location dealing with the problem that is people coming across the the border. That yeah, our policies are the problem. I know this is not shocking information to a whole lot of people, uh, but it's valuable when the individuals in the the roles that they're in say the thing that we all obviously can see ourselves to. It makes it harder, not impossible, uh, for people like our current president to just keep lying about this stuff. When President Biden was elected, did the number of aliens trying to illegally enter the United States increase or decrease? Objection. Increase. In my experience, we have seen
3: increases Uh, When there are no consequences, there is an assumption that if migrant populations are told that uh, there is a potential that they may be released, that, yes, you can see increases.
1: Of course, that's a thing that we're seeing. Of course, we're seeing increases uh, when there is this amount of uh, assumption. I think that you can get across the border and make it into the country and then eventually uh, just be here. Uh, And especially that last moment, he says where you could just be released. You uh, would essentially have to deal with, I guess, a a few days, some amount of time uh, where you're uh, uh, being processed and uh, not necessarily free. And then all of a sudden you just get released uh, out into our country. And so you've you've successfully done the thing uh, that you wanted to do. And so in that case, and I think this is gonna be something that you talk about more and more all the time, uh, and certainly throughout the, I guess, uh, midterms and then the uh, upcoming presidential uh, election is you need someone Uh, who is willing to actually fight Uh, if you you need someone who's actually willing to to do their best uh, to try to prevent something like this from happening and not encourage it anymore all right i want to move on to something else the president said yesterday uh, that i thought was rather interesting a lot of people thought this was rather interesting so if you've even paid attention to like uh the poll information out there there's this indication that more and more americans believe at some point in the near future Uh, that there will be a civil war. I think 40% of Americans said that just the other day. Uh, That's not the only uh, piece of information that's valuable in that world. A lot of Americans also seem to believe, and I think there's been a lot of polls that demonstrate this, that at some point it may become necessary to take up arms against the government. I'm not trying to say this in a way uh, that makes it sound as though I'm encouraging that sort of thing, Uh, but I, I am saying that a lot more people seem to be willing to say that even publicly um, and so the president said that if you're going to take on your government you need more than a gun it was a weird moment in his speech the other day
2: and for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about shaping America you're keeping America's independent and safe if you want to fight against a country you need an F-15 you need something a little more than a gun no, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use.
1: Here's what I love about that moment, and you can probably already guess what it is. The silence in a crowd that's cheering for him. They're cheering for him. A whole bunch of people have safer America signs that they want to throw up and, and uh, you know scream and yell every time he makes a point that they think is tremendously valuable, and he makes that point. He goes, I can ban guns. Essentially, this is what he wanted to say, just not the way he said it. I can ban guns. Because the people who say we need our guns to defend ourselves from a government that tries to overreach, they're wrong because they'd lose. Because you need way more than just guns to defend yourself against us, against the uh, military if we chose to attack our own people. That's something our president essentially alluded to, essentially tried to hint toward. And it's just disturbing is what it is. It's as disturbing as the other thing I played earlier on in the show uh, where he's calling a nine-year-old, hey, baby. That is also odd and disturbing to a lot of people. Uh, but there's something more significant about this uh, because, and here's my my simple belief on it, and I'm not trying to go super radical, uh, right wing, whatever it is you wanna accuse me of being as I say this. I do believe the protection of the second amendment, the reason to allow uh, people to bear arms created by the founding fathers was as an intentional way to create a, a check and balance in which the uh, citizens of a country would be capable of defending themselves from say government uh, that became so uh, far to a certain uh, type of behavior so inappropriate uh, that it was the only option that the the people had to, and obviously we see this all the time uh, or have seen this throughout the history of of the world uh, where yes citizenry does rise up on a I I mean, obviously, at the time in which they're writing those documents, they were doing that sort of thing. Uh, so I do think that is the reason the protection exists in the first place. So anybody who tells you that, whether they're a hardcore Republican or they're, they're someone on the left who's scared of it, it, it's just simply a fact. It's simply true that that protection exists predominantly for that reason. And so to say now in the society we have today, the military technology that we have today that you can go ahead and and change it, you can go ahead and ban that thing because it's not really gonna help in a fight against the government anyway, is a crazy way to try to win the argument. That is an insane way to try to say, you know what, no, we we can do this because really we gotta rewrite that whole thing and give everybody an F-15 and train them on how to fly it if they ever wanna defend themselves against us. So let's just go ahead and call it what it is and move on entirely. And actually I'll say one other thing, About all of this, and this is just a simply an odd thing, and then we'll, I guess we'll move on to something else. Uh, Biden should be aware of the fight going on between Russia and Ukraine and the way that Ukraine is is doing such an admirable job of fighting a much more advanced military foe. And one of the reasons why is that they are a Second Amendment type of country. That's what people were saying from jump about that place. That citizens would defend themselves, that uh, troops would go into places, that they had a convoy going into places, and there were a lot of people that were striking back and fighting back with just the guns and things that they had. And granted, it has obviously created a world or a situation in which Russia, who assumed would win this uh, type of military uh, uh, fight against Ukraine quickly, is still fighting Ukraine. And so it's sort of insane for our president to even believe that that's actually true, and I don't love making this point. I'm only making it because, well, he started it. Uh, but I think citizens could do a good job of defending themselves from a, a, um, a military or a society that decided a political agenda uh, that got so far out of whack that it would look nothing like the country we live in uh, now. Uh, because obviously, of course, what is not happening right now, the military has not been turned on our own citizens. And I think that's another valuable thing to just throw out there and mention. That as these conversations happen, as now, of course, even the president has weighed in in a weird way on it, Uh, the good news is that this is not something that is currently happening. All right. I do want to go here, play a little bit more of uh, Steve Ducey specifically from Fox News, Fox and Friends, laying out some of what happened in this uh, DOJ filing last night and asking some simple questions. I do think a lot of this is very valuable conversation. So here we go. Any answers?
3: Well, we do know that the agencies involved in those documents have been, have said, you know, nobody ever told us they were declassified. There's a protocol to do it. And apparently, you know, if he thought he was doing it, they didn't do it right. To your question, why did they have the search? In May, they put a subpoena to retrieve all the documents. And then in June, remember, Mm -hmm. to your point, uh, the agents showed up and the Trump people gave him 38 documents. And then Christina Bob signed something and said, that's all there is. For some reason, uh, one of the Trump lawyers prohibited the government agents from looking inside any of the boxes that remained in the storage room. And then they heard from multiple people, apparently, there's big secrets there and not just in the in the uh, document room. And so that's
1: why they got the uh, search warrant and that's why they went. But- so that is a, a simple explanation by uh, one of the three hosts of Fox and Friends, and I do think it's valuable as we talk about these kind of things, as we realize uh, what is going on in the Trump Mar-a-Lago investigation, the FBI raid, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that we, we start to understand, as Steve lays out, uh, the reason why these things happen. And I think one of the most damaging pieces of information that I've learned, uh, is certainly by this last filing by the DOJ, is that signed document by a lawyer for the Trump uh, team saying, that's it, we have no other documents, we have nothing else. Now, uh, Brian Kilmeade will lead uh, will react to what uh, Ducey said with a valuable point too. Uh, talking about that storage facility that the lawyers would not allow the government to access. Uh, that storage area was the area. And you've heard this time and again uh, that they were asked to put a lock on and they went ahead and did that. So here's Kilmeade.
3: But the problem is uh, that's the same storage room where he said, do me a favor. Before we go through all that, would you put another lock on the door? And right. he did. So he said he did. And then they said, quickly, let's go check Melania's socks and uh, let's make sure there's nothing there. And then we got a tip that something in the safe, the safe is totally empty. Obviously, there's more. But there's another side to the story. And if there is, the president's got to come forward and say, here's the lawyer that said that they're there. All everything's done or we thought it was all done or we told you it was here. So as far, you have the department of justice still right. trying to justify what they did at the same time they say keep everything confidential and at the same time try to avoid for some right. reason a special master well, if i yes. were them
1: if i think that's incredibly interesting that they do not want a special master to review all the documents i think it's incredibly interesting that they went the road they did to do what they uh, filed last night and i think it's it's uh, incredibly valuable to again contemplate exactly what Kilmeade says there that right now, the Department of Justice is doing everything they can to validate, to demonstrate the need uh, for the decision that they made without actually being willing to give us all the information and without allowing uh, a special master to actually review all the documents. That, that seems wrong. And here's the last thing I'll say about all of this. Even though we know the classification of some of the documents, we don't know exactly what they are. And I know that that seems silly to say, but it, it, it does matter. Uh, because I do think it's important to, uh, again, comprehend exactly how much of this information could or could not have been something that Trump will say he declassified, uh, something that a, another president somewhere else uh, in our society, I don't know which one, uh, might have taken things similar to these kind of things. I mean, that was an accusation that was thrown around and then denied, of course. I, I don't know how rare uh, this type of behavior is and how important uh, these documents are. And I think it is valuable to get a better look, a deeper look than we've gotten so far. But I think the filing by the DOJ and even the photos put up uh, does create, as Ducey pointed out, uh, Steve Ducey, a more valuable picture and certainly something that comes closer to understanding the decisions uh, by the Department of Justice. You're not actually there yet, but you're coming closer. And kill me just saying we need even more. All right, quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show.
0: too. Hashtag immigration reforms. Hashtag help. I'm trapped in a hashtag factory and I can't get out. The Chad Benson Show.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in a couple uh, interesting surveys out there for parents and kids. Uh, First, parents do try to get more information about the hobbies that their kids are into. They do try to learn these sort of things. 61% of parents said they're eager to learn more about the things their kids have interest in. 63% said they're trying to teach their kids to appreciate hobbies that they themselves enjoy. Uh, And it does also say that kids like it uh, when parents try to teach them something that they uh, really care about and like. Here's some other stuff, though, from that data that I find to be uh, amusing. Uh, When asked about specific things, uh, 2,000 parents were asked these questions. Uh, These ones, these parents in this survey uh, were for kids ages 3 to 12. Uh, Are you familiar with this? Uh, People swung and missed on some stuff. If it came to the biggest things out there, Frozen, Moana, Baby Shark, more than 40% of parents knew about this stuff. I guess there's a TV show called Cartoon on Cartoon Network called Steven Universe. I've never heard of it. I don't have any kids, so that's probably why I've never heard of it. But only 29% of parents uh, heard of it, and it's one of the most popular shows for kids. I loved this one. Only 24% of parents were able to correctly identify musicians, specifically Fifth Harmony, uh, a musical group that I guess even broke up in 2018 uh no uh they were uh correctly able to say oh yeah that's who that is and even though they're one of the most popular or they were in 2018 uh sweeping a lot of nickelodeon kids choice awards so a very popular band with kids uh beyond that here's some other things that i, I also really liked about it uh 47 47 of parents revealed that they cannot stand their children's uh, musical taste <laughs> i find that hilarious especially as the kid probably gets a little older, three, four, five years old, it's going to be pretty uniform. Actually, I was at a restaurant recently and there was a little kid at a table very close to my family and I who had gone out to eat. Um, And the little kid was just playing the same like lullaby music on an iPhone over and over and over again. And yeah, I didn't get like mad or or yell or anything like that because I'm an adult who has patience. I can figure out how to navigate a... uh, a meal out where you keep hearing the same song played by a kid that's very, very close by to you. But the thing I I kept thinking in the back of my mind as you're trying to tune that out is how much harder is that for that parent? Because this is probably happening way more often than just here in this moment that I'm sharing with them. And I'm amazed that that parent either seems to be broken by or capable of ignoring. the. And it's it's honestly even something where the kid uh, started to repeat the beginning part. Of the song it it seemed as though once the song got to a certain point uh this young uh kid was no longer happy with it wanted to start over again and again i was just incredibly impressed uh with the patience that i assume exists all the time uh for the parent um as i said in the last study and as in this one too uh kids and parents do enjoy time spent together when they're trying to exchange maybe even interest in things like music uh but Again, it's probably not going to be something that actually changes people's minds on any of this stuff. Uh, By the way, some of the most popular TV shows for uh, parents to watch with their children. I thought this list was really interesting because almost none of it is the stuff that I think they are actually watching together. I think parents do wind up uh, sitting down and seeing a lot of children's shows. Uh, But the ones listed here were all game shows. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Wheel of Fortune, Family Feud, Deal or No Deal... All of these came in at 30-something percent of the amount of people that said, yeah, okay, I watch that uh, with my kids, or my kids sit down and watch that uh, with me. Uh, one last story, just hitting on this, too, that I thought was interesting. So a guy in Texas broke into an animal shelter and let a bunch of dogs go free, and then he stole a van. Uh, the dogs started fighting, and several were actually injured. Uh, cops found the van nearby with the guy's <laughs> wallet inside of it. Uh, so at some point, he abandoned the wallet and made it very easy to arrest him. Uh, The guy's name is George Paul Jones. He is 38 years old, and he seemed to think that he was doing a a good deed by letting the dogs out of the shelter that they were in. It's a big place with over 150 dogs actually inside that shelter. Of course, a whole lot of people have said that this is not at all uh, a smart decision to make. This is not something that's going to help any of those uh, animals actually have a better life. Uh, and I don't know if there's any sort of like drugs or alcohol involved, but I don't know why the guy would choose to do this. Uh, he's facing charges of burglary, animal cruelty, theft of a motor vehicle. Being an idiot is one that I feel like should be in there because when you leave the photo ID inside the car you stole and abandoned, I mean, at what point do you think George uh, was like, hey, I did a good thing tonight. I let all those dogs go and they seem like they were fighting each other, but it's fine. Everything's going to work out. Hey, wait a minute. Where's my wallet? Like, when did that moment occur? When was he patting the fronts and backs of his pants and being like, wait a minute, I think there's a problem here. Uh, but one more time, I guess I'll just throw this out there uh, and then we can move on to one more uh, quick story. Uh, don't do this. Uh, don't be someone. It's honestly the same thing. I, I recently went to the zoo. I've been spending a lot of time with my family, had a vacation. I recently went to the zoo and uh, the a niece and nephew I was with asked questions about if we should try to free the animals. And I was like, no. That is not something we should try to do. It's not something we need to do. Uh, The animals seem to be doing okay uh, in where they where they are right now. So let's just leave them alone. But I love the fact that they were thinking that at seven and nine years old. (laughs) Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson show.
0: This is the Chad Benson Show. independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Uh, The DOJ, in a late-night filing, did give us more information into the investigation or the uh, raid of Mar-a-Lago and former President Trump, uh, his home. Uh, I think some of the information is valuable. Some of it is probably still, we still need more. What I think is tremendously interesting, though, and this actually is a debate that happened last night on CNN between Don Lemon and the legal, anal- uh, the legal analyst for the, uh, the station. What I think is so valuable about this, again, is that uh, the intent from the beginning, I think, in a political world was to find Trump guilty of something, specifically the individual uh, Donald Trump, the former president, the person likely to run for office again, the individual that it was so surreal that the uh, Department of Justice chose to raid his home when we've never seen anything like that ever happen before in our society. And the reason that they chose to do it needs to be uh, just incredibly valuable. Otherwise, people are going to have problems. Uh, But here's the thing. The uh, legal experts are already saying that it's going to be incredibly uh, difficult to actually prove that Donald Trump himself is guilty of any kind of crime. And that made Don Lemon lose his mind. Uh, I think he was somewhat, uh, I think internally he wanted to have a very different reaction than the one he had. And I'll play the audio here in just a second. Uh, But I will also note that within the minute or so of audio I'm going to play, I feel like Don Lemon's position changes quite a bit. As he loses the argument to the legal expert on the show.
3: Right about that, everyone deserves a a, a defense and all that. I get that, innocent until proven guilty. Of course. But the fact is, we're arguing over whether he's guilty or not. Of course he is. He took the documents. Now we're talking about just how bad the documents are, how how top top secret they they are. not that he did something wrong. I'm not going to say he did. I can't sign on to that because as a prosecutor, I know that you have the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, Mm -hmm. and you can't just take a, a, a bunch of new. Newspaper articles. when we've not even <laughs> seen the documents and declare. So there that are no top guilty. secret documents found. No, no, there, there, there certainly were. Okay, were there but documents? But were, were there documents taken from the White House yes. that were not supposed to be taken? That was supposed to be in. Yes, custody custody here, of- but here, but. The National Archives. Do we have proof that Donald Trump himself saw those documents, knew what was in them, had intent no. to violate the law, as no, opposed to just it, disorder, or as opposed to just... Yeah, the, you, have to, you have to prove that in court. I know that it's a process, <laughs> right? but the fact no, is
1: don't. there was an act... Yeah, you don't really sound like you know that there's a process. Here's what I find so valuable about that back and forth, um, and the moment where the legal expert on CNN, a place that's not friendly with the former president, although I think they're trying to be more in the middle, uh, it's not really going to work unless you get rid of a lot of those people... Who are so far off to one side people like don lemon that they cry uh when someone gets elected president but i digress i I go back um i think what's interesting about all of this the whole you have to show intent you have to show knowledge you have to show all of that is that at the end of all of this if trump is not the person who winds up responsible for any kind of errors if his legal team said no to things that they shouldn't have said no to and brian kilmeade has already been out there saying that too then at the end of the day the political witch hunt fails again the people held uh, responsible for something that might have just been messy. Um, there, There is a lot of possibility that a year after leaving office, uh, there there may or may not have been confusion, especially as to whether or not the president truly believes he declassified the documents. I think that's something that really matters in all of this. I played audio earlier on in the show, and I could go back to it, of Steve Ducey of Vox & Friends saying that, of course, there's a, a process where the departments that um, are in possession of the documents need to be notified that they are declassified. Uh, there has been precedent set. I, I mentioned this before uh, in the Bush presidency uh, that demonstrated that no, actually, you, you could just tell a few people in a room that these are declassified and wind up having that hold up in court. Uh, that's something that did occur. Um, it was a one-off thing with a reporter, so it's not quite this, but I do think that there would be some value in at least having that conversation through to that moment Uh, But beyond any of that, if the president just truly believed they were declassified, if he himself thought and could convince a jury or convince anybody that, uh, yeah, I declassified these, there's a process. No, there's not. I just have to say it and that it was declassified uh, that in and of itself might actually be a defense for any wrongdoing here, uh, which means that at the end of all of this, what you have is a giant political win for the former president. The only way that he loses here, let me say that and then I'll move on to something else. The only way that President Trump loses this situation that has occurred right now, loses the scenario where the Department of Justice uh, agrees to allow or the FBI decides to raid his home at Mar-a-Lago, is if he actually is found guilty of a crime. Not indicted, but truly found guilty of doing something wrong. If that doesn't happen, you handed him a political win. And something that the FBI has said they would desire not to do and I laugh because a lot of people know, and even after recent uh, resignations, it's become even more apparent the FBI does seem to behave with a political agenda more than they ever claimed to. But if they didn't want to impact an election, they should never have done any of this in the first place. And and I guess the final thing, the most valuable thing, and this is something that also came up in that CNN bit a second ago, is what is what are the documents, uh, you know, what do they actually contain? I think that is still important. Are they classified? Yes, it seems that they are but what's actually in them? And why would Trump seem to think that they were either declassified or capable of being kept? Um, are, are they the full uh, printout of whatever uh, the information was that was, de- was classified? Are there pages of things that were taken but not the totality of rapport? I don't know. I have no information on any of this. Uh, and I, as uh, demonstrated too by, I guess, just the reactions throughout the day on this, um, we, we have more information. We still don't have a total picture. And the fact that the Department of Justice is trying to fight to have an independent party review the documents, I think that's interesting. All right, let's get to this. Uh, Brian Kilmeade popped up on Fox Business doing an interview the other day uh, talking about the three big issues that Democrats right now should probably be talking about or probably uh, are having success uh, uh, in the uh, polling Data on. I thought all of these were very interesting.
3: Well, there's three things the Democratic Party seems to be polling well on: the coronavirus, still, uh, yep. which is inexplicable. Yes, Abortion, is. because uh, they are pro-choice, and a lot of the zero tolerance when it comes to these states has uh, has a lot of people freaked out. I think the 15 weeks seems to be even if you're the most pro-life person, your neighbor probably isn't. So how do you govern? So I think those are the issues. Where they're polling really low is on inflation, on the economy. And on crime, especially. So, how do they fix that? He's trying to go back to his 1990s roots. Right. Uh, when you were you were in law school, or just just out, and he was uh, pro. He's talking about predators and everything. But how do you do that at the same time? Be this criminal, this racial justice reform president that was talking <laughs> about. Uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter need to tear down cities. And that's a positive even during the coronavirus times. So he realizes it's going so poorly and crime is so out of control and yes. we can't get cops and we don't yes. pay them enough. And we yes,
1: we we have so many struggles in so many of those areas. And so I think what's really important about everything I just played there about a uh, political um, uh, talking head or uh, Brian Kilmeade, a pundit, out there in the world, saying that these are the these are the basics, like these are the simplicity of the issues, is that everything I just talked about to open the show, to open this uh, segment, everything that's been talked about probably on a lot of shows throughout the uh, throughout the day today. Uh, if you're talking about Mar-a-Lago, I think for a lot of maybe everyday Americans, you might already be losing. This might already be something that matters less and less to people because the issues matter more. Uh, I know that some polling recently has said that people consider themselves. Trump supporters more so than Republicans. That was at an all time high uh, recently, as you kind of talk about the unfairness and how uh, it looked from the outside to see the FBI raid a former president's home. Uh, But if it's not a political win for, say, Republicans, I don't think it's going to have a tremendous amount of value uh, because the issues are what matter. People like Ron DeSantis and people on the Democratic side of the aisle. Bernie Sanders tested very highly, again, <laughs> uh, pulled very highly again. If you stick to the, the issues, the things that matter most, inflation, crime, uh, protection at the border, uh, these things are things that are a winning argument no matter who is delivering them. There seems to be this obsession uh, with one individual, and I think this is more from the left than the right, in all honesty, uh, and that individual is now distracting, I think, from some of the valuable conversations that the American people would like us to be having. All right. Other things, just quickly. I saw this. Gutfeld, the TV show, became the first non-broadcast network late-night show to defeat ABC, CBS, and NBC for an entire month, as it was the most-watched program of its kind during the month of August. The entire month of August, which I guess we still have technically a day left in, uh, but Gutfeld averaged 2.19 million viewers for the month, edging out The Late Show uh, with Stephen Colbert. Uh, The Late Show finished second with 2.15 million viewers, Um, Other shows obviously doing just slightly worse than that one, too. Uh, The first thing that it it says to me, and I think this is fairly significant. uh, By the way, Fox finished August the third most watched network in all of TV and primetime. The network trailed only CBS and NBC and actually beat ABC for major networks uh, right now. And maybe that's also because uh, the person in power is on the left and the right is willing to uh, say things that sometimes the left-leaning stations are not. Uh, willing to say, I think you get a lot more honesty uh, from, say, the opposing side of a argument when that side, when they're not the ones in power. I think it is harder sometimes, whether it's a political person or whoever, uh, to say the true thing when it's anti your side. So it makes sense that Fox is doing so well because so many other stations are biased and it comes out, becomes so much more apparent. I mean, the the relentless attacking of the former president is something that seemed to, to demonstrate bias fairly clearly, but I think that uh, ignoring these things or, or moving past these things or always explaining the misbehaviors or the the terrible things of the current president is actually more a demonstration of just how biased something is. Uh, but that's that's incredible uh, to see how far um, late night television has fallen. First and foremost, how far the the Late Show or the Tonight Show. Have gone uh, ratings-wise compared to what they were back in the day. At one point, when they were the must-watch, must-talk-about things as far as everyday entertainment goes, uh, it is it is very, very surprising uh, to think that so many of these stations are willing to just allow this to continue. Uh, Stephen Colbert certainly a a valuable uh, dem- a valuable example of just how far to the left that person is. And how willing that person is to talk about their politics on, you know what they should do? Here's my idea. And then we'll take a break on this, actually. Uh, I think that the biggest problem with late night television right now, with the Stephen Colbert show, other than just the people who host it, is the location that they host it in. When you're in Los Angeles and New York every single day, and you're hiring people from Los Angeles and New York for your show to work on your show, you're not getting a clear picture of all of the American uh, opinions. That are out there in the world. And you might actually think you have a significant majority of people who believe the things you're saying. So if you're Colbert, you go out there and you're very comfortable throwing the hard political take into the faces of people who are just looking for entertainment. They need to move these shows somewhere, middle of America, somewhere that is not a big giant city uh, with a one sided set of opinions, uh, but somewhere where a lot more people who come to the table and want to work there are people who come from, or at least just hire a bunch more people uh, who work from uh, home, I guess, from other locations who just weigh in on what whether or not these are the best possible ways to talk about these topics. And then probably, of course, at least with some of these individuals, you got to fire them, uh, just like CNN is finding out to make the transition, to try to sound different than you've sounded in the past. Some of the voices can't <laughs> stay, uh, so there's certainly people that would have to go in late-night TV. But if you actually get more perspective... I think you'd have a more entertaining and maybe just, you know, a product that decides, hey, maybe these political topics are too difficult for us to talk about and they're not a lot of fun for everyone to hear. A quick break, a lot more. Uh, This is The Chad Benson Show. Craig Collins filling in.
0: I usually don't get into politics. As an ordinary suburban housewife, you feel a little disrespected. I teach my children not to name calls. You
1: are a flabber-body! A flabber-body!
0: Come on, man. <laughs> um, guys, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? Chad Benson. Just
1: a loud... This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about, of course. Uh, some other things out there in the news, though. First, this. I thought this was interesting. A filmmaker who met with former President Donald Trump after he was banned from Twitter uh, said recently that he thought at the time uh, that the president, uh, then-president was incredibly depressed and suffering social media withdrawal. Uh, that is the claim of the filmmaker who met with former President Trump right after his ban from Twitter. This came up on a podcast recently You know what I think is interesting just reacting to this quickly and then moving on to some other stuff is that the truth social platform right now is doing the thing for uh, former President Trump that Twitter used to do. It's that thing where whatever it is you say there, it gets picked up by all the news organizations. They all react to it uh, or they get the immediate response from the president on anything. Even the filing from the DOJ last night, you have an immediate reaction on truth social truth social uh, from Donald Trump. That is all over the news as part of the reaction or part of the defense that's going to be provided uh, to some of that stuff going on, or at least the the counterclaims being made. Uh, so really, he's getting the exact same thing. I don't know if I believe that he was depressed or suffering from social media withdrawal, per se. Uh, he probably was upset because it was unfair. Uh, it did seem to be unfair uh, with the amount of people and other types of uh, individuals throughout the world that are still allowed to have social media profiles. Uh, To not allow a sitting president or a political candidate um, to have one is a weird thing that Elon Musk may eventually fix if he's forced to buy the platform. Uh, Moving on, other stuff I saw that I thought was interesting, Uh, sisters born to the same mother met for the first time in their 50s. Uh, These women, uh, Diane and Mary, 59 and 56, are half sisters who were raised by two totally different families. They finally, they finally found out about each other and got to meet for the first time earlier this year. Uh, those meetings have gone viral. Uh, they uh, met face-to-face back in June, and they uh, both feel like they won the lottery, is what they say. They couldn't ask for anything more. There's actually a really uh, fun photo of them, uh, one that I like a lot, uh, just sitting on a beach, both laughing uh, together and just kind of like hanging out there and probably having a really great time getting to know each other. Uh, but again, Mary, 56, and Diane, 59, uh, at that stage in their lives, uh, have finally met someone that they wish they had met a lot sooner. But I feel like that'd be a good age to meet a surprise uh, family member uh, in your 50s. Because I feel like if you're if you're too young, you're going to try too hard to get too many things back. Like say you found out in your 20s that all of a sudden you had a, a brother or sister that you'd never met before. I feel like you're not going to handle that with as much uh, humor as it seems like these two women are handling it with or as much like, ah, oh, we wish things had been different. But you know what? We're going to enjoy uh, the amount of time we now get to spend with each other for the rest of our lives. I don't think that's a reaction a younger person has. I think that's a reaction a person of the appropriate age has, a person who, like I said, has seen some things, but is not someone who's uh, at the end of their life by any stretch of the imagination, uh, someone who's in right in that perfect age group to react to something as ridiculous as that with a like, all right, let's try this out. And I think that's somebody in their 50s. All right, I'm going to move on to something else. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Your phone is probably causing a lot of bad stuff for you. You know what? Actually, we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll talk about how bad our phones are coming up to uplift us. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
3: The Chad Benson Show.
0: Independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins, filling in. Chad is back tomorrow. Uh, A quick uh, just uh, jump around of some of the things out there in the news. Uh, Libs of TikTok creator Haya Rachik has been banned again from some of the social media platforms that she's on. Uh, She was banned for what she calls and what Tucker Carlson last night, when he interviewed her, uh, calls just reporting on an issue talking about whether or not doctors are performing uh certain procedures on minors procedures they shouldn't be performing reassignment a gender reassignment surgery uh and this is again a conversation that valuably could be had and that if anyone else is to report on this issue uh that has any sort of noteworthiness i guess on social media or just in in news in general i doubt it's something that gets you eventually banned that's essentially the the conversation, the argument that Tucker and her will have, and I'll play it in just a second. Uh, but it is valuable that, and I think that the most important piece of this, other than diving too deep into this one specific issue, is just how social media decides to ban you, the information they give you, all of that sort of stuff. It demonstrates how, how unfair that system is. Uh, not that it has to be fair, these are privately owned companies. They can do whatever they want. Uh, but for them to uh, behave as though they are being independent when they truly are not, is I think part of the big problem here. And when they're banning uh, any sort of profile out there that I'm sure they don't like and sure uh, that they would like to see off their platform, they've banned this uh, account before, uh, and now they're doing it with little information. It just shows why I think there was so much interest or or reaction to the idea of someone buying one of these platforms and trying to make it more down the middle, but here we go.
3: Uh, Tell us how they construed hateful conduct from your reporting. How was that hateful, did they say?
2: Hi, Tucker, no, they did not say. They purposely left it, you know, for the imagination. Um, but I can only imagine that reporting on, doing journalism and reporting on something that they don't approve of is, is hateful. That's what they view as hateful now.
3: So you're committing actual journalism, bringing to light facts and allowing people to assess what they think of those facts. That's what journalism is. And then the Washington Post, NPR, and the the loathsome (laughs) overfunded website, Vice, decide you must be censored for this? Does this seem like an inversion of the way things should be?
2: Yes, it's it's really scary um, when you see journalists and media calling for another independent journalist to be completely silent. They don't just want me banned, they want me demonetized, they want me silenced, they want me off the internet. For- that
1: is very interesting, the way in which this fight goes. If you do look at the Washington Post article specifically, uh, the one that went viral a few days ago, and even the author of that post uh, sending a message to Higher Rachik and her responding saying, yes, I'll do an interview, then him claiming in a message back after he puts the story up, that ah, I didn't see that you said yes to an interview, even though it's actually referenced in the article itself, which is pretty hilarious that she said she would do an interview and more information will be provided to the story once, uh, once that interview actually takes place, which, again, that's hilarious to say one thing but have another thing already published and out there. But it is worrisome, and it is valuable to talk about uh, whether or not uh, these organizations that want a certain level of bias, whatever it might be, to exist within our news reporting, do overly attack the opposing side uh, and that that headline of that Washington Post article talked about how the hospital was receiving threats, not about whether or not the reporting from libs of TikTok was accurate, that doctors were doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing, that probably is not even the right word, they absolutely shouldn't be doing on, on minors. Uh, and so, again, this, I think, conversation has several different branches or several different values to it, uh, the most important being that news now opposes news. Um, And I think that's the most significant development in, say, the last, I don't know how many years. Uh, It's been a while that this has existed, but essentially news fights itself now. Uh, You can sit back um, and not a lot of news fights on the side that Libs of TikTok is on. There's only a a very small amount of of organizations that go that road, at least on television uh, or on social media, pretty much anywhere, to be honest. Uh, It's just so interesting that these kind of things are now the the kind of norm, and that uh, when Tucker Carlson is putting this out and exposing this in his television show, probably a lot of people are are dismissing it. That hate Tucker, a lot of others might be listening to it and thinking, "All right, you know, I see I see some value or some interest in in this conversation." But there there really truly is a lot, uh, maybe a lot more than people realize, just because of I think how important it is to make sure we do everything we can as a as a society to have all those opinions that get out there in the world, not be as slapped down the way that this one is being slapped down. So I just, I, I wonder again, and I know you probably do too, about the, the overall impact and lives of TikTok is not really a, a journalist organization uh, more often than not. For the most part, it's, it's something else. Although honestly, you know what? I'm gonna take that back. As I think about that a little bit more, Uh, All Libs of TikTok has done from the beginning of its uh, um, existence on any social media platform it was on was just reshare things that were probably being shared to smaller audiences that were very far on a political side of the aisle. And these were just everyday human beings with people who were not on that same side of the aisle. And the biggest complaint by those who hate that uh, social media account or that approach to having conversations in our society uh, say that it's hateful and it's causing those people, the individuals highlighted in these things that get more exposure through libs of TikTok, uh, these individuals are, are you know, getting through, even the hospital. In this uh, current example, the reason that so many are upset about it is that it caused outrage, it caused anger. But the thing that libs of TikTok has always done is just share actual stuff. They're not opinionated in the sense that they go out there and they shape the narrative for you They just show you the thing, whatever it is that's occurring. So I'm going to take that back. I'm going to assume now uh, that if you actually do follow that account closely, that you could consider it just true journalism, the the actual version, the version that doesn't exist anymore, where you just put the information out there for the world to digest itself. All right. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show. I wanted to get back to it. Uh, Your phone is causing wrinkles. Uh, worse than wrinkles, it might also be causing detrimental effects from the blue light. Uh, dermatologists have long understood that ultraviolet rays from the sun damage the appearance and overall health of your skin, but the harmful effects of the blue light emitted by LED screens, uh, such as smartphones, televisions, computers, all that stuff, uh, has a detrimental effect on your skin too. Apparently, so good news there. Uh, beyond that, they say that the um, the blue light itself causes all different kinds of detrimental effects. Uh, just inability to sleep uh, being one of the more significant ones. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to talk about this for a second. I'm going to be selfish and give you just a real quick. So I, I've been reading stories like this a lot recently. I don't know if this Oregon State research is just the, the thing that a lot of schools are all doing together. Uh, maybe a lot of younger people in these classes are like, hey, I really want to study uh, a cell phone. But I've seen a lot of this. So I've now tried to go to sleep at night every night without my phone. Uh, which has caused a few different unique problems (laughs) that I didn't consider going in. First, I need an actual alarm clock, uh, which I went ahead and purchased, something I have not had for a long time, an actual, real, regular one that sits by the side of my bed, that does the alarm stuff, that plays the radio, uh, all the stuff we used to have that the phone kind of became an easy replacement to. Uh, But beyond that, I find myself several times a night, every night, and I've been doing this for a couple weeks now, reaching for my phone that's not on my nightstand to try to read something or look up something in a moment where I start to my brain starts to go places right before you're going to sleep and it has been the hardest thing in the world to leave it out uh, and I'd love if anybody else has gone through this and would love to to commiserate or tell me how much of a weakling I am how sad it is that I'm this addicted to my phone and I certainly I think am that it's been tough over the last two weeks to not just get up and go get the phone from a different room and have it when you go to bed. Uh, Cause I, I think even just like reading things at night is valuable. And it's been a long time since I cracked open a good book and read that before going to sleep with a little book light on by my side of the bed. Uh, so I don't uh, annoy the, the missus that much. I really think that that's the kind of thing I'll have to bring back too. Uh, and it apparently, according to this study would be very, very good for us. And especially maybe even the bathroom. Maybe that's the only other place that cell phones should never go anymore just because of how much uh, grossness gets on the old cell phone uh, during the bathroom trip. Uh, But that's another uh, situation where you're going to have to start putting the magazines and things back in the restroom because it's just boring in there without the phone. All right, I'm going to move on. That was probably too much information. So just one other quick thing, and then we'll take a break. Uh, Over 75% of adults are failing to exercise, according to a new study. Uh, only one quarter of Americans are achieving the minimum required amount of exercise. Now, granted, the standard is set by the CDC, so you tell me if you believe it or not. That's totally fine. Uh, data collected in 2020, uh, which was published on the National Center uh, for Health Statistics on Tuesday, shows that only 24.2% of adults age 18 and over met the recommended amount of aerobic and muscle strength activities for a combined average of 150 minutes per week. Now, doing something in 2020 is probably unfair to 2022 because I feel like there are some unique reasons that maybe people were missing on some of these things. Uh, that uh, 43%, nearly half of all adults who failed to meet the minimum in either category for fitness uh, also occurred. Uh, more than one in five met only the suggested guidelines for aerobic activity. Uh, it's it's certainly something that I guess is, is worrisome, uh, but I guess a lot of people are probably in a similar boat. I haven't hit the gym in a good amount of time myself so i'm certainly not not judging you for this um and it is interesting that's 150 minutes combined a week to do both muscle training and aerobic exercise to be healthy uh, but so not working out a lot and using your phone too much is a bad way to live but a whole lot of us live that way and darn it mentally it just seems to be pretty fulfilling so darn it i guess there's a challenge all right on that note a quick break a lot more uh, craig collins filling in on the chad benson show
0: A bowl of chili with of One Mexican heartburn. Where you mud grow up? The Chad Benson show. Where independent a la carte thinkers have a seat at the table and a voice in the dialogue. I'll have what she's having. This is Chad
1: Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. If you live in California right now, you're probably very confused about what the uh, likelihood, the future likelihood is for you to have a vehicle uh, that works all the time for any reason whatsoever. Uh, The reason I say that is that, of course, a few weeks ago, the California Air Resources Board uh, approved a policy that would not allow uh, people to sell cars that have, quote, greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. So in just uh, a a small amount of time, uh, just 13 years, all of a sudden you can't buy a gas powered vehicle in California anymore. Then there's the news as of today uh, that's out there that said that because of the stress on the electric grid, uh, they are going to ask Californians to pull back on using electricity. And in some cases, that would mean doing things like not charging your electric vehicle. So if we get to a point in the future or uh, say the the electricity grid is is uh, rough, it's stressed again, we have to pull back, we have to stop doing stuff, uh, say this happens after 2035 for whatever reason in California, there might actually be the statement, hey, you guys have to stop charging those electric vehicles, and also those are the only cars you're allowed to have. Uh, that would be a problem. And they talk about this a lot, actually. Um, this would be over the Labor Day weekend, by the way, for people pulling back on energy consumption, uh, the brownouts that are occurring throughout our society. Uh, Those things are potentially going to get worse. And a lot of the ways that we generate electricity are through greenhouse (laughs) gas emissions. So I do think it's interesting as we talk about all this and as, of course, the Biden administration blazes a trail uh, irrelevant to whether or not it's harming many, many Americans trying to make it harder and harder to, say, uh, have a normal, uh, regular, everyday gasoline-powered vehicle and affordable gas to put inside of said vehicle, uh, that we have stories like this that could only get worse. Uh, could you imagine a day where we are required by law to own electric vehicles so a lot more people own them and then we can't actually charge said vehicles? What if you needed to, to go somewhere in an emergency situation? You know, like what, what if the, <laughs> the hospital doesn't have all of its vehicles charged? I can't imagine we get there, uh, but it's just certainly interesting to see these sort of things colliding in the news now all these years before inevitably hitting that horrible moment in time that some can already see coming. Uh, with some of these policies and things that are out there. Um, a sign went viral. Uh, this has gotten 42.6 million views and reactions on uh, reddit.com. Uh, the sign actually in a community put up, it seems by the community itself, asks you why we you would litter. It simply puts the question, here are the reasons we think that you would litter. And then it, it gives some pretty funny answers. Uh, some of the reasons are, number one, I'm stupid. Uh, that's a pretty harsh one. I don't care about my city is another one that's listed as reasons that people might litter. Mummy um, cleans up after me is another one that's put out there that uh, says, you know, that's a reason that I'm just throwing trash out of my car as I'm driving around in my uh, community. And then finally, all of the above are potential answers to the question. Uh, this sign, by the way, was put up in South Africa. Uh, so it's not something that's here in the United States, but it's something that's gotten a significant, significant reaction. And a lot of people saying we need more billboards like this. Whenever you see someone just throw stuff out of their window, uh, there is that moment of like, what what really just happened there? Like, what went through their mind that they were uh, in the middle of whatever they were eating, consuming, whatever uh, thing they had that is now trash and they just decided I can hold this no longer, and it needs to go uh, some direction that's not with me, uh, it does, I, I would say that littering is one of the things that, and actually I think there was a list recently uh, that that went through these things, uh, but one of the things that can most uh, make you mad if you see someone else do it, like it's just a quick little thing, that like why? And especially, I, here's my favorite one, and then I'm going to move on to something else, the miss the trash one. That's my favorite one, especially if it's like the basketball shot thing. Because anybody that played basketball, especially uh, at a young age, you learn the fundamentals of basketball. You learn follow your shot. You learn get the rebound and put it back in. Uh, that's one that makes me uniquely mad, is someone that's just like, oh, I missed, but it's close, and I'm done now. <laughs> I don't, I don't. again, I don't get that. They're like, I did more than most people. I didn't do all the things I'm supposed to do, but I, I came closer than most did, so now I'm fine. All right, I'm going to move on to this. Uh, a recent debate on social media asked a simple odd question. How much money is the appropriate amount of money for a birthday gift to prevent someone from cheating? This is a real question. So a boyfriend recently bought his girlfriend a $900 birthday gift. Uh, He then found out that she was cheating on him. Uh, So he went on social media and he complained about it. And the biggest thing he said that a lot of the people on social media reacted to, to be like, how dare she cheat on you, was the amount of money he spent on the birthday gift. Not whether or not they have, say, a happy, successful relationship, whether or not there was any fear of cheating in the past, any of those things. None of that came up. The only thing that people said is, man, 900 bucks and a birthday present for a girlfriend? Yeah, this is just wrong. And I do love that. I do agree with that, by the way, that it sounds like $900 is a, is a pretty nice gift, depending on where you're at in the relationship for a girlfriend, um, I think that that's a above and beyond type of gift. I do think the reason that someone should or shouldn't cheat on someone else uh, is probably beyond how much money you spend on the gifts you give them. But darn it, that's just me. Uh, by the way, data apparently says that uh, younger people are more likely to cheat on both sides of, of uh, sexes. It's not just men uh, like we usually see in data for older relationships, uh, couples beyond, say, anyone in their 20s. Uh, in your 20s, it's a much closer number for the amount of men and women uh, that cheat uh, in a relationship. So I do think that all of that was interesting. And again, that people were more up in arms about. And you probably ask for that gift back, right? I mean, if it's only been a little bit of time, if now you're breaking up because of the cheating, hey, could you give me that gift back so I can return it and get a refund? Maybe that's something that's okay in this situation, too. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, coming up in just a bit, we're going to take a break in a second. I do want to talk about a story involving J.K. Rowling. Uh, I think it's very interesting the new book that she's going to be writing, the new things that are going to be in this book that were recently uh, talked about and publicized. A lot of it seems to hit very close to home for some of the things she's been dealing with recently, uh, some that some might say are her own fault. So that coming up and more, Craig Collins filling in in The Chad Benson Show.
0: independent life. This is Chad
1: Benson. This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Uh, First and foremost, I think it's very interesting that the Department of Justice does not want to have a a, uh, special um, person involved, special master, I think is what it's actually called, uh, involved in reviewing the documents taken from Mar-a-Lago. I think that's valuable uh, that they are saying that concealing and removing uh, these documents is more than enough in their investigation, and someone actually reviewing them, uh, seeing whether or not it was appropriate to do these sort of things, uh, would actually cause national security issues, according to the Department of Justice. Uh, it would, uh, it falls, it fails, excuse me, for multiple independent reasons, saying it is both unnecessary and harmful uh, to our security. Again, I'm not sure that I totally buy that, and it does seem that independent master review of things would make tremendous sense, especially in the unprecedented nature of what is occurring here. No matter how much one side says we did this for all the right reasons, this has got to be the exception to the rule where we check all the reasons and don't just listen to that side. And so far what we've gotten, the heavily redacted affidavit, is nowhere near as valuable as they were claiming it should be or claiming it would be, uh, which is something that I also find uniquely sort of hilarious. It it is valuable, though. I don't want to completely diminish it. Uh, there, there does seem to be more information that's come out. Uh, some of the documents found and the way in which they were stored uh, at Mar-a-Lago is something that is, is worrisome, but is it actually criminal? Is it actually something that Trump did wrong? Those are all questions we don't have answers to yet. Uh, I will also say, I saw this out there, I think the New York Post editorial board, one of the places that put it out, uh, saying that all that's a distraction, that the real issues that voters care about right now are things like Biden's insane student loan forgiveness. Is His insane spending in other ways, the ways in which you're stoking inflation to be as bad as humanly possible uh, right before a midterm election and how that is more important to everyday Americans than whether or not anything is eventually found uh, on former President Trump. Because the truth is, and I think that this is something that the editorial board of the New York Post is getting to, is that voters will vote issues even if it's not for any one specific politician. If Ron DeSantis, for example, rises up and becomes the heir apparent, the person people want to vote for, he may very well do that by simply sticking to issues and not really talking all that. I mean, honestly, I hate that I'm going to use this example because it's so ridiculous now considering the utter difference, the the utter way in which you handled the Hillary Clinton email situation versus the Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago situation. It just shows so much bias within our system. But Bernie Sanders was someone who was praised back then for saying, I don't care about her emails. Let's move on from her emails. I think a lot of American people are saying, let's move, on from our, let's move on from all this. The January 6th investigation was silly and pointless and very one-sided to a lot of people. So let's just go ahead and find a more valuable approach to talking about inflation, talking about the border, talking about all the screw-ups of the current president, and certainly talking about student loan debt forgiveness and how ridiculous it is. I have other topics planned, but just a a quick thing. I just want to keep saying it uh, while filling in on the show for Chad this week. I'm in a unique position, uh, a position that a buddy of mine recently asked me about. Like, hey, man, what do you really think a student loan? Like, I'm not telling the truth. Like, what do you really think of this whole thing? Because he knows that I I got forgiveness. I had money that got wiped away from student loans. I'm still paying. I'm in my mid-30s. So the simple question out there is like, how could you not like this? How could you yourself think of this as anything other than great? And there's a, there's a value to the way my friend asked me the question because yeah, when you get a handout, when you're given a thing, the initial reaction you have is all right, uh, thank you. Uh, but then when you actually think about it more and when you talk to people who are not in the same boat, and I told this story earlier this week of a family member of mine who is in the exact opposite scenario, a scenario where he just finished paying off a student loan debt recently for his wife, not even himself uh, and student loan debt that he had paid the entire time he went to to, uh, local community schools uh, to go through college while working two different jobs on the side and, and raising a young family. Uh, This is a guy that put a lot of effort into paying off his student debt as quickly as he could for the betterment of his family. And he is livid uh, and a, a family member. I care about a lot about all these things. So all of those matter and get put together. But here's the last one, and the thing that I said in all honesty to my friend, asking me how I could dislike something that I uniquely benefited from. Is it a, a moral reason? Do you just feel bad about it? And the answer is no. The easiest reason to dislike this is that it's probably gonna cause more harm than good in the long run. The additional spending, the way in which this is happening now, whether or not young people who get this forgiveness will just spend this money elsewhere, rack up debt other places and wind up in the back same uh, in-debt boat that they were in before and also do things like make it harder for us to purchase stuff as demand continues to go up and supply does not meet uh, demand. Although they are saying in some of these warehouses and stuff uh, for some of these um, um, bigger retail businesses, I think Target is one of the ones that talked about this recently. Uh, they're now going to uh, store a bunch of items that no one's buying, things like clothing, and just sell them again next year because they have an, an abundance of supply in some areas. But inflation is still tremendously bad. Uh, the cost of everything is so, so high and remaining so high that just giving a handout to a lot of Americans might wind up making all those Americans pay that back. Taxes go up. There's all these ways that eventually I probably spend the same amount of money in, say, a 10, 15 year period that I would have spent paying off my student loans. And beyond that, uh, I also then wind up causing a lot of harm to a lot of people who didn't sign a piece of paper I did. There's no way to say that uh, easily or more valuably than that. I agreed to the debt that I have for my home, for all the different things that are debt that are in in my, uh, you know, spreadsheet on what I'm paying each month. And it's not that someone else agreed to pay for it, so it's not really fair uh, to make them. And I don't know how anyone could say anything opposite. That's what I told my friend. He seems to believe me now. I'm not uh, totally sure. Uh, Moving on, some other things I saw out there uh, that I thought were interesting. Uh, There's a brand new book coming out about the relationship between Barack Obama and Joe Biden and how much Obama didn't like Biden, which to me is not terribly shocking. It's actually a, a big part I think of why Hillary Clinton uh, wound up running and not Biden after uh, Barack Obama's two terms in office because Obama had no interest in actually throwing his support behind Biden. And when you're the vice president for a guy for 8 years, a guy that was very popular on his side of the political aisle and he doesn't want you to run for office and won't throw his support behind you, it makes it much easier for someone else to be like, "Well then, you know, I'm I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to run." And even this time around, even when Biden ran his whole campaign from his basement, uh, which uniquely benefited him, by the way. Another thing that's so crazy about the way in which his campaign was successful is not just the amount of dislike that, that exists on the left for the uh, then-President Donald Trump and obviously is demonstrated now by the reaction to some of these stories out there, but it's the excuse that was the pandemic to not put himself, uh, this would be Joe Biden, in situations where he would embarrass himself like he is doing now. a uh, Case in point, in this book that I referenced a minute ago, uh, there was a moment, I guess, where Obama sat down at a event of some kind and Biden was speaking at the event. Uh, I think it was something for Condoleezza Rice. And as uh, Biden is speaking at the event, I guess um, at some point, um, uh, Obama handed a, a handwritten note to one of his staff members saying, just shoot me now. <laughs> Uh, About the ramblings and conversations uh, that, uh, again, were happening because Biden was given an opportunity to speak at a place. And so he said a lot of stuff that wasn't terribly valuable. And it actually says, and I quote from the book, too, uh, that Biden's uh, Obama, excuse me, his first impression of Biden was very condescending. He was a person who liked to, quote, ramble, clearly loving every minute of opportunity to talk and not a lot of it being real valuable. So there we go. That is uh, what our former president, one of our former presidents, thought of our current president uh, long before he actually got into office. I think that is quite amusing. Uh, Two other quick things, and then we'll take a break. Uh, The first one, I mentioned this before the break. J.K. Rowling is uh, writing a new book. Uh, It's a new novel uh, that'll be coming out soon. Uh, It is about a woman who gets murdered after getting online threats. I'm not sure exactly why she was getting the threats, uh, but talk about something that's uniquely interesting for a writer that is that great of a writer. Uh, it, no matter if you like her or dislike her, the woman is very good at writing things. Uh, she had a lot of success with Harry Potter uh, for people that I don't think the first couple books were actually intended for, but certainly the latter books were. Um, but, but J.K. now thinks that the right thing to write about is is a person Uh, who winds up getting a lot of threats, and then eventually someone actually carries out one of those threats. Uh, What I think is uniquely interesting beyond her own personal experience, the attacks of her being transphobic that occur all the time from the things she said about what she feels are the differences between men and women, uh, differences that a lot of people do agree with. I'll just go ahead and put that out there, too. Uh, For anyone that wants to hate on me or Dave Chappelle or anyone else for that, I'm not saying I agree with everything said. I'm just saying that a lot of people can see some of the basics here and understand them. Uh, But JK, I assume, is actually genuinely worried about this. And we hear about this all the time for a lot of people, for politicians on both sides of the aisle, for uh, celebrities, that you get death threats via online messages um, from people. And, you know, maybe we don't react strong enough as a society to those things because it happens so often. But what I think is even more insane, and we talk about the guy who traveled across the country to try to kill Brett Kavanaugh, a Supreme Court justice, is that the few and far between people who go from the words to the attempted actions are the ones that you think would make way more news, and sometimes they don't make news either. Uh, That guy wasn't covered anywhere near as much as you'd assume he'd be for someone who actually traveled to and got fairly close to the home of a sitting Supreme Court justice, with the intent to take his life, and maybe they all play in the same sandbox. Uh, what I mean by that is maybe our sort of uh, numbness to the to some, and I don't think this is everyday American numbness. I don't think every person was numb to the to the guy trying to kill Kavanaugh story, but maybe some of the numbness, even in news media, uh, to some of this, just comes from how often it occurs now on social media, like how common it is for someone to fire off a death threat uh, to someone else um, and how significant it is probably to have a more conversation uh, about that. So I think that the uh, new book from JK Rowling will be fairly interesting to say the very least. I don't know that I'll I'll read it. I I just know that it sounds like it's going to be an interesting, interesting thing that I'll, I'll probably get some sort of spark notes on at some point. All right. A quick break, a lot more. I hate that I admitted that a quick break, a lot more, Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson show. Deep
0: States. Uh, No deep doodle. Yeah. The Chad Benson show.
1: This is the Chad Benson show. My name is Craig Collins filling in thrilled to be with you. Uh, One quick thing, and then we'll move on to other stories. Uh, U.S. life expectancy, expectancy dropped again, marking the worst two-year decline in a century. Uh, U.S. life expectancy estimates have fallen to the worst level since 1996, according to a recent study. Uh, they've fallen 2.7 years to 76.1, is now the country's worst two-year decline on record uh, since actually 1923, according to... Um, Some data, I think, provided by the CDC, uh, which, again, every time I say the CDC, I wonder uh, what you can and can't doubt about that. Uh, The declines in life expectancy since 2019 are largely driven by the pandemic, uh, they say. COVID-19 deaths contributed to nearly three-fourths, or 74%, of the decline from 2019 to 2020, and 50% of the decline from 2020 to 2021. Excuse me. Uh, More than one million Americans have COVID listed as a cause of their deaths on their certificate, according to the latest data uh, tabulated by the agency. I love that it actually points that out. And this is CBS News uh, that I'm reading this story from, that that is the reason listed, uh, because some people still question uh, some of those things for sure. Uh, But it is interesting to talk about this stat and then wonder if it's something that hopefully uh, goes back to being uh, different, uh, switches the other way, as we feel to be very much on the other side of the worst parts of the pandemic. Uh, all right, shifting gears, though. Just other things out there in the news to talk about. I know this was a, a fairly big story yesterday uh, that it's weird that now in New York State, when you try to buy whipped cream, you got to provide a, a, a ID. You got to prove that you're over 21. Uh, one person on social media who is 43 uh, said they even have some like gray hairs. They're like, why, why am I being uh, carded for whipped cream? And I guess it's some old obscure law that's in effect there. Uh, because teens could somehow abuse the nitrous oxide, uh, commonly known as na- as laughing gas, that is within the whipped cream canisters. Uh, when it is abused as a narcotic, it commonly is referred to as whippets or whip dash its. Uh, you're doing the the whippets. I can't even. I don't even know what to say uh, out of that story. But this is something that then caused a lot of supermarkets and places in the area to start carting for whipped cream. Uh, I don't know what to do except uh, maybe tell everybody to just buy Cool Whip. Cool Whip is fine. It's a good product. Uh, it's got a, a long running, I guess, liked by many joke from Family Guy that I can't help think of every time I, I say Cool Whip and I don't want to do the joke, uh, but it is, it's out there. You can check out that uh, yourself too. Uh, but That doesn't come in a canister. You just pop open the tin, you eat some of that, you have a good day, uh, put it on a, a delicious pumpkin pie. I'm not a pumpkin spice fan. I'm a pumpkin pie fan. Those are different things to me. All right. I want to move on again. Uh, Anna DeArmis is, uh, to me, a very attractive human. Um, I don't know that that matters. I just put it out there right after I said her name. <laughs> uh, that was just a moment of honesty from Craig filling in on Chad on the show today. Uh, but she recently complained about an NC-17 rating for her new uh, Marilyn Monroe biopic. It's called Blonde. It's going to debut on Netflix, I think, next month. She said that it's a very harsh rating that she doesn't understand because, quote, there are many more films with a regular rated R rating that have more explicit or have more sexual content in them. Um, I'm sure that if people uh, like me uh, think that Anna DeArmas is a great actress uh, and a very attractive person, uh, that they might be somewhat intrigued by the the salacious rating. <laughs> I'm not trying to say this in the dirtiest way possible. I'm trying to navigate it appropriately. And so it might actually benefit the film, I think, for anyone. Uh, that might. And honestly, like the story of Marilyn Monroe, it seems like the, the real one, and I know they've made other biopics in the past, does get pretty crazy. Like there are a lot of aspects to it, a lot of darker sides to it, and a lot of sexual sides to it uh, that probably get talked about within the movie. But I just love the fact that she's out there complaining. She says she doesn't know why it happened, uh, that it got the rating in the first place, and that she does think it's inappropriate, and it is something that is getting talked about a lot. Even though it's just debuting, I think it'll probably be in theaters, but I think it's mostly debuting on Netflix anyway. And I don't even know if we we check and care about ratings anymore to the stuff we watch on the streaming platforms. I, I'm sure you do for your kids, For your children, you set up the kid's account that doesn't allow for the rated R, whatever the stuff is that you don't want them to see. But for like a a regular adult who clicks on to stream something on one of those uh, platforms now, I'm sure the rating pops up right before you watch the movie. But I don't know that that makes anybody go, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I cannot watch this, sir. I thought this was a typical R rating. It says NC-17 in the corner of my television. I am now out on this topic. So I'm essentially saying I don't think it'll have much of an impact on the amount of people that choose to watch uh, the program, but maybe I'll be wrong about that. I know that that data always comes out at some point anyway, so we'll probably eventually see it. A quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
0: Thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson show. My name is Craig Collins, filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about. As I always say, our president is a confused human being. I, I don't know a better way to say that. It's just a thing that definitely is true. And the more you follow him, the more you see uh, time and again all the examples of just how confused he is. Uh, but here is one of those set examples. Uh, he was uh, talking to people about the upcoming election in Pennsylvania, and then he mischaracterized mischaracter- both of the individuals and the thing that they were trying to get elected for. He said that you should vote for Josh Shapiro uh, as a senator. Uh, that guy would be running for governor. And then uh, you need to elect John Fetterman as a governor. Uh, he is running for the Senate. That's, that's a rough swing and a miss in the world of uh, uh, Joe Biden. Here we go.
2: Please, please elect The Attorney General of the Senate. (laughs) Elect that big old boy to be governor.
1: (laughs) I don't know how I I feel about the elect that big old boy moment. I I don't think it's something that I would truly love to hear from a a President Biden uh, describing me. But again, I, I hope that they do not follow uh, the advice, even Democrats, uh, follow the advice the president just told out there, because uh, that would be a lot of write-in balloting and a lot of confusion, uh, especially if they both definitely would lose in that scenario. Uh, but I, I just love that you can get confused about something uh, that, that simple. Uh, these are the kinds of things uh, that make, well, some of us laugh. And then, honestly, the other reaction, the reaction you actually probably have, is the the afraid one. You start to think, man... Uh, is there enough damage here? Is there a, a significant enough of a problem that these are the kind of things that probably should not be uh, allowed uh, in the world of uh, shouldn't we make a decision to to tell this politician he's he's not fit for office essentially? I, I want to play this too. This was the other very odd moment in the conversation from President Biden. He made a reference to something that does get talked about a lot. and I'm sure you you've heard this or know about this or even have a friend. Uh, who said something to this effect uh, and I, I will say that the second amendment does exist the protection of having our ability to bear arms because i believe the founding fathers put it in there to prevent any sort of a government overreach to prevent any sort of scenario where the people could not rise up revolt and take back power if necessary if the government became corrupt enough and i, I know some people already think we're there but corrupt enough to necessitate that. I do think that's the reason that that rule exists, and that some Americans take it so seriously. And I don't know that there's much of an argument about that. But Biden's new position on why he should be allowed to say do whatever he wants in the world of gun control apparently is because those guns wouldn't be valuable if the government came for us. That's a real thing, and I'm sure you're going to say I'm I'm jumping to some conclusions within it. If you love uh, President Biden. But just listen to the detail and the way in which he goes about it and then take the extra step of determining what exactly he is saying and why it's so surreal to hear a president make an argument this way in order to try to justify a position he has on a specific issue. They're not unlimited. Right now you can't
2: go out and buy an automatic weapon. You can't go out and buy a cannon. And for those brave right wing Americans who say, it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe. If you want to fight against a country, you need an F-15. You need a, something a little more than a gun.
1: No, I'm not. That is my favorite moment of this entire speech. And favorite as in I'm, I'm as dismayed as the audience is. But the fact that this audience, and again, I want to play the totality of this clip. They're cheering and pray, uh, praising him. Obviously, it's a very friendly audience. The type of audience that Trump was used to working when he would have his rallies. People are going to essentially scream and yell at anything. Uh, Let me try to think of any sort of comparison I can make to it. Here's one that maybe not everyone will get. It's like when you go to medieval times... Again, I know I've already lost a bunch of people by saying that. But if you go to Medieval Times and they tell you you're cheering for a specific night, you have no reason to cheer for the night except that they gave you the flag and they told you you're in the, the red night section. And then you cheer up until he loses in a joust and is out. And then you get you get given another night. And, so, and for anyone who hasn't gone to Medieval Times, again, I just lost a majority of the audience. But I, I don't know why. I just I wanted to make uh, that out. Okay, I've been to Medieval Times recently. That's sort of why that happened. Anyway, let's go back. The, you got Medieval Times audience to start, and then all of a sudden you got real confused, quiet people saying, did our, did our president just say that we would lose in a fight to our military? Is that how he's making the argument now? Not even we're okay with this. They're not unlimited. And honestly, even that cheers, uh, even that applause is a little bit muted. It's not like they're having a great time, I think, at this speech. Right now you can't go out and buy an automatic weapon. You can't go out and buy a
2: cannon. And for those brave right wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe. If you want to fight against the country, you need an F 15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Uh, Think about this. Think about the rationale.
1: Yeah, everybody in the audience is in in stunned silence to the president essentially threatening the American people, uh, which is what some have said. And I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't know if I need to go that far. It's just it's a it's a crazy take in and of itself. It's a crazy thing to see out there in the world, to see getting uh, talked about more that our president in just a speech he gave uh, to supporters of his essentially said that he can ban weapons because they don't protect you from your government anymore. How horrible of an argument is that? How terrible of a position uh, is that? All right, one other last thing that uh, Biden said.
2: You hear some of my friends in the other team talking about political violence and how it's necessary. Think about this now. Did any of you think, either as old as I am, you've ever been in an election where we talk about it's appropriate? To use force, political violence in America?
1: Isn't that kind of what you just did, sir? I'm sorry to say it, uh, but isn't that something in the way in which you set up this speech where you were going to essentially threaten violence that, uh, and and by the way, the last example I'll give on this and then I will move on to other things, other things that certainly have value to talk about uh, too. Um, But I just think it's so interesting when you see what's going on in Ukraine, when you see how Russia has been, they have been shocked. And and really, uh, more so than shocked, they've been valuably uh, fought back against, partially because of the type of country that Ukraine is, the beliefs they have. They are a Second Amendment country. Uh, they're the type. And you honestly, like early on in the the conflict, there there were videos of like grandmothers uh, making grenades and handing them out in their community. These were the things they were doing to protect themselves, to protect their country from the invasion happening from a foreign country. How can you say? Uh, to the American people that the right to bear arms wouldn't really matter if the government ever got to a point where the people really thought you needed to rise up and fight against said government. If a lot of people really chose to do something like that, how is, you the, how is the president can say that yeah, wouldn't matter anyway? I, it doesn't make any sense to me to be the, the road you go down and the way you talk about something and then later to chastise the other side for being people who discuss violence. Uh, Because the reality of violence is something that you just insinuated in the comments you made uh, as a as a person in a significant place of power in our country. All right. I want to move on to other things. As I said, it gets very uh, taxing, uh, very much. I don't know. It's almost just uh, um, not it's not fun to talk about a lot of the political stuff going on right now. It's not even fun to laugh at the stupidity of our current president or the potential um, issues going on with our current president because those are immediately also terrifying. Uh, so let's talk about some other things. Let's do this. The Wall Street Journal put this story out. Four things that used to be free that aren't free anymore that maybe make us feel sad that more things used to be free. The first one listed was choosing your seat on an airplane. If you want to make sure you don't get stuck in the middle seat way back in the day, I uh, used to be able to do that completely for free. Uh, now that's something that'll cost you. Uh, recently when I was traveling, my wife and I got seated in different seats twice. Uh, so we weren't, uh, one time we were just across the aisle from each other. She was in an aisle seat. I was in an aisle seat, but another time we were literally like a row and a half away from each other. And I don't know how that happened. Uh, we bought our tickets at the same time. We bought our tickets together. Uh, they, you know, we have the last name. I kind of thought that if you say no to buying the seat location that you would get to sit next to the other person, but it didn't work out for us. Uh, so that one uniquely interesting that I saw that listed there. Uh, using the pool at a hotel is something that used to be completely free. And I think still is a whole lot of places. Uh, but some locations are now tacking on a resort fee. Uh, and it might, be even, it might just be a fee that you don't even add. It could be a la carte. You could be asked if you want it. Or maybe you don't. Uh, but some even uh, have early check-in fees and other things too. So costs for going to a hotel have gone up in unique, weird ways. Uh, odd charges at restaurants. Things like a kitchen appreciation fee have been added some places, or a fuel surcharge if you get anything delivered. Which I actually kind of understand more, but those are things that used to be free. And seeing a movie the day it comes out now might have an actual additional charge in upcharge for being a premium ticket at a local movie theater. Uh, that's something the Wall Street Journal is saying is sad uh, that is no longer as uh, you know that it now costs money and it it shouldn't. And I agree across the board on all that stuff. And I do think it's interesting. I don't know if that was more fun or uplifting than all the political stuff we talk about. And I certainly think some of the ways that businesses are trying to recoup costs and recover from a lot of what's happened here over the last few years is the fault of the politicians uh, themselves, to say the very least. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, Just a little bit more coming up after the break. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
0: Running with Scissors sounds great compared to this. Say woo!
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, lots and lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. I saw a viral story and had a couple quick reactions to it. Uh, so a woman said that she sold a lot of old clothing uh, that she hadn't worn in a little while, and she was able to pay for her wedding. And she actually said this is her advice to everybody out there uh, her name is Casey Moorwood, by the way. Uh, that you don't have any idea how much money you have just sitting in your closet that you can sell and make a whole bunch of money off of. I don't think she has any idea what my closet looks like. First and foremost, I don't have a lot of money in there. Uh, sneaky, uh, you know. I don't. My Led Zeppelin T-shirt's not going to go for a bunch of money. It's got some holes in it. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> I think there are people that probably do have more valuable items. Uh, she was able to make, as she said, a lot of money and help pay for a wedding. Uh, Now, here's the other thing. And the other thing I thought about as this story goes viral, uh, the new change in tax law uh, that's coming because of this brand new uh, past uh, bill that's supposed to help us lower and fight inflation is going to cause a lot of havoc for a lot of people like her who sell things online. Uh, In the past, an e-commerce company only had to really issue a a 1099 form uh, to people who made a lot of money on their platform. People who made uh, more than two thousand, or excuse me, twenty thousand dollars in revenue, had more than two hundred sales a year. Uh, those individuals would get a tax form that would also go to the government. Now the government is asking for anyone that makes more than six hundred dollars in revenue on a website that the third-party e-commerce platform issue a 1099 form to them and to the government, which essentially would say that say you made like a thousand bucks in a year spending stuff online uh, or selling stuff online, yes, you should pay taxes on the money you made. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should list that. You should put that in. But if you don't do that correctly, if you've not had any experience uh, with being an independent contractor or a small business of any kind, and you're really just selling some stuff online, uh, there are a lot of people who probably will make mistakes in this world uh, that'll probably get in trouble by the brand new 87,000 IRS agents that are totally not auditing everyday people. They're just auditing big corporations or someone who sold a thousand dollars or anything more than $600 worth of stuff in a year on any one website. It is interesting. It's something that I think will have a major impact and really harms this influencer's advice for all of us to raid our closets and decide how much value is in them. Uh, A garage sale, I think is probably the only uh, real way to get around that. And yeah, you're also supposed to pay taxes on a garage sale, but I can't imagine many people go ahead and list that on there. And I don't think they're making a whole lot of money on the garage sale, but that might be the new way uh, to sell the old items. And you're probably not going to make the money, as I said, you make on the other platforms. Anyway, moving on, other stuff out there. It would be fun. Sorry, can't move on. It would be funny if if what actually happens with all this IRS stuff is a whole bunch of people that just get in trouble for garage sales. (laughs) I don't know why I just thought of that for a second. Like the IRS is, I'm talking about this now. I'm sure the government surveillance is like, wait a minute, we forgot one. The garage sale thing. Let's start sending the IRS agents to garage sales. And as people are selling their items, be like, hey, you you fill out all your forms for this and then you go ahead and have that world as the world we're going to live in soon. Uh, I saw this story. I liked it a lot. I don't know what about it specifically uh, made me think it was so interesting. Although I work in a lot of workplaces that have a lot of very social people in them uh, because I work in radio. Uh, This woman who went viral online uh, that said she works in a, a unique industry that has a whole lot of very social people at her office space. They all have a lot of fun. They all go out for like happy hour drinks after. And for whatever reason, I don't think that she hates her coworkers. She might just be the more uh, inverted, not extroverted type of person. She doesn't want to do that stuff. She shows up, she gets her work done. She goes home. She feels good about the job she's done. Uh, recently her employer called her aside and say, Hey, you got to be a part of the social atmosphere. You got to start interacting with your coworkers. Uh, you got to be part of the the fun team. Uh, I don't think they actually said that, but I, I would have enjoyed that. Uh, and if you don't, you're fired. Uh, and that sparked a lot of debate on social media as to whether or not it's appropriate to fire somebody for not wanting to hang out uh, while they're at work. Uh, she said she typically just puts on some headphones. She's very polite to all of her coworkers. She's not like mean or rude or ignores them when they talk to her. Uh, but she also hates small talk. I agree with that so much. And I just simply throw this out there. I ask you, if you're someone that loves small talk, explain to me why. Uh, Facebook.com slash Chad Benson Show, Facebook.com slash Craig Collins Show. To have like your eighth conversation in the day about the weather and how crazy it's been has to be mind-numbing. To a lot. I don't get anyone that actually likes it. I know a lot of people who I would say are better at it, than other people and i'm probably middle of the road at the small talk conversation it's just not a good time it's not uh, a valuable way to spend time so i agree with this woman and uh, i do think it'd be inappropriate to fire her uh, but i guess if the entire office behaves a certain way uh, having her try to behave differently without the ultimatum being you're canned Uh, probably makes it a much more appropriate ask. I'm not exactly sure, Uh, but it is interesting, again, that it went viral, and a whole bunch of social media warriors, uh, people that have a lot of opinions when they're behind the keyboard on a computer, uh, said how much they agree with her and how she doesn't have to be social at all when she goes to work because sneaking suspicion, this is mine, I'm sure it's yours, a lot of the uh, keyboard warriors are probably not the most social individuals in actual everyday settings. Uh, A couple other quick things. Butterball has released its Thanksgiving predictions in August. Uh, 90% of us plan to celebrate this year, which is good. I don't know if that's a much higher number than previous years. I don't see it listed. 85% will celebrate with turkey. I don't know what kind of Thanksgiving doesn't have a turkey. I don't even know how to cook a turkey. And if my wife and I ever host it, we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. I imagine she knows what she's doing there. Uh, They also expect slightly more first-time hosts this November, up 4% from last year. Uh, Maybe that'll also include me. And most people say inflation is a concern as far as Thanksgiving goes in the way too early information released by Butterball. I don't know if they want people to just talk about them. I don't know if the Butterball hotline is already available to talk to the turkey expert to get the idea in as as quickly as possible. Uh, But inflation is so much of a concern according to this data that you don't need at the end of August. But I'm telling you because darn it, it amused me. Uh, A lot of people will go potluck this year. A lot of people will ask you to bring items Uh, to the old Thanksgiving dinner and not pay for everything themselves because they just can't handle the cost of that if they are hosting the Thanksgiving. I agree with that too. I'm going to go potluck too. I don't know why I threw this information out there. I couldn't resist you, Butterball. Uh, This is Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. See you later.
0: This is The Chad Benson Show.